Can you think of a time when you wanted to get back, get even, or get revenge against someone else? I coached my daughter's fourth and fifth grade basketball team this past season, and uh, we had so much fun. We had a great year together, and we lost one game during the regular season. And wouldn't you guess it, when the tournament finally came around, which team did we draw to play in the first game of that tournament? the only team that beat us, the team that went undefeated. And so the week of that tournament came around, and I want to tell you that we worked hard. I worked hard to get those girls ready to play. We prepared ourselves mentally. We practiced every morning and every evening leading up to the tournament. I'm just kidding. We didn't really do that. We actually practiced for 45 minutes one night, and I think three of the girls showed up. But by the time the game came around, we were ready to go. We were ready for that game, and boy, we played our hearts out. They did too, and it was a battle to the very end. And if you're wondering what the result of that game was, well, let's just say that I keep this championship trophy on the bookshelf in my office, and this trophy says it all. But you know what? There's a kind of getting back and getting even that is okay and right, like in the case of working hard to overcome opponent an opponent uh, in a sport. But we all know that there's a kind of getting back or even in this world that is so prevalent, and it's not good, it's not right, and it's not helpful. But the truth is that we love it. Uh, we love it maybe even more than we like to admit. We all love a little revenge. Like, think about how this works, if you would. Like, uh, if you have a brother or sister, if you live, live at home, uh, and they do something to, to hurt you or to upset you, like, you want to get them back. And because you know them so well, you know what it takes to get them back. Or, or suppose your spouse makes a abiding remark to you or criticizes you, and all of a sudden you're just fired up. You are locked and loaded with a counterattack that really stings. Or uh, how about this? How about someone on social media uh, really gets under your skin with something that they say, but you post the most brilliant response, making them look like a fool? Or you've got a neighbor, and let's just suppose they have a party late into the night one night, and they've got that bass on that sound system really turned up, and so you respond by firing up your mower that next Saturday morning, and you enjoy every minute of mowing your yard. We love some revenge, don't we? There, there's something in all of us, something hardwired in us that loves not only to even the score, but even take the lead. Well, as you might expect, Jesus had a thing or two to say on this matter, specifically in how he wants us as followers to respond when we've been hurt, uh, when life presents us situations, or we've been offended or hurt by someone else. And, and today, while the solution we're going to look at, the solution might sound familiar to us, the actual application of it in our everyday lives is where it gets really tough and where it gets really difficult. But you know what? Maybe you've heard it said before that the hard thing and the right thing are usually the same thing. And I think that might be what we find to be true about this particular story, these words from Jesus today. And so if you've got a Bible with you, uh, if you have access to one, if you use something like a Bible app on your phone, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 38 with us today. Uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some lessons from Jesus most well known teaching, a teaching that we refer to or uh, is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And last week we learned that Jesus expects his followers, he expects 
works his church to represent him well by living as salt in the earth and and being light here in this world. And this week, we're going to see what he has to say about getting even even when we've been hurt or offended. And so picture this with me, if you would. I I want you to picture Jesus and his disciples. Uh, They're sitting out on this lawn, this grass on the side of a mountain next to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Again, his disciples are there listening, but there are many others who have crowded around as well. And Jesus is teaching them. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, here's what we read. Jesus said to them, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, you've possibly heard some portions of this message before, and if you're like me, you can probably grasp the concept even of what Jesus is saying, but have you ever really stopped to consider what the big idea is? Like, is Jesus really saying that we shouldn't stand up for ourselves? Uh, Does Jesus think that we should let others walk all over us like we're a doormat or something? Uh, Does Jesus tolerate bullying? No, Jesus isn't suggesting that you or I become like a doormat or a punching bag to anyone. Like, he's not saying that you shouldn't protect yourself or that you shouldn't act uh, or or, or get out of situations when you or someone else is in danger. He's not saying that you shouldn't stand up for yourself either. I mean, there are plenty of places in Scripture where Jesus and, and others provide wisdom and guidance for how to deal with these sorts of matters. But what's going on here? Like, what is it that Jesus is trying to show us? Look back to verse 38 again with me, if you would. Jesus said to them, you you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now, the law that Jesus is referring to here is a specific Old Testament law found in places like Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, a law known as lex talionis. All right, try saying that five times real fast. Lex talionis. Basically, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Uh, Someone causes you to lose your eye, they should lose theirs. If, If they knock your tooth out, they should lose a tooth as well. And I know it sounds a little barbaric, and we don't have time to get into the intricacies of how this worked, but the fact is that Lex Talionis was a a radical new way of thinking and behaving. It was God's way of saying that the punishment should fit the crime, because up to this point in history, the common practice had become, if you knock out my tooth, guess what? You're going to lose all of yours. Or if you cause me to lose sight in my eye, your whole family is going to go blind. Lex talionis. It's the law of retaliation, and it was meant to protect the innocent and just as importantly to make sure that retaliation and revenge didn't get out of control. Now, maybe you're thinking already, okay, Paul, I see where you're going with this. I see where this message is heading today, and it's good. Like, there's, there's a lot of people that need to hear this message. In fact, I'm sitting next to someone right now. They really need to hear this message. But be careful, because we say, we might say we don't need this teaching, but remember, we've all got a vengeful side. Like, think about this. Even that nicest, quietest, sweetest, soft-spoken mom you know, 
All you have to do is say one thing about her kid or question her parenting technique in one way, and it's not going to take much for Mama Bear to come alive in that moment, right? I mean, we, we all know that. Uh, others of us, we might say that, you know what, I've got the patience to hold it together in any given moment, but, but, but on the inside, like think about how quickly the inside, our mind gets to working in all the conversations we'll have with someone in our minds, or, or maybe this will get really clever, and we'll find ways of making sure what you did to me comes around to get you as well. See, there's just something in each of us. There's something in our hearts that causes us to want to get back to even the score, and if we're lucky, maybe take the lead. Well, Jesus recognized this. He recognized this about all of these men, his disciples, and, and not only them, but all of those that were listening in the crowd on that day, but for you and me too. He's got these words in mind for you and me as well. And so like Jesus did on so many occasions, he came to talk about another way of living, a better way of responding to difficult people. Check this out again, verse verse 38. He says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, if we're not careful, we might assume that, that Jesus is suggesting that we all become pacifists or that we never stand up for anything, but that's not the case at all. In fact, I would argue that Jesus is showing us a better way to retaliate. I mean, just note that he calls out, do not resist an evil person. And I appreciate the fact that Jesus at least acknowledges that we're all going to come into contact with some difficult people but is Jesus suggesting that we just let them walk all over us? Not necessarily, because this word resist here in the original Greek, it's a military term that describes two armies that come out to face one another in battle. And the, the do not resist doesn't mean let them abuse you, but instead to not fight someone in the same way they are fighting you. In other words, when someone hurts you, or someone insults you, Jesus says, I, I don't want you to just get back. I don't want you to go uh, looking for revenge or, or looking to even the score, but instead I want you to at least consider the possibility that there's another way. That as followers of Jesus, you know, don't just think and respond as the world does, but, but that we're training ourselves more and more every single day to think like Jesus, which often means that there's another way. And to illustrate this, Jesus is going to provide three examples to get us thinking about another way. First example is this. Jesus says in verse 39, if anyone, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, I've only been punched in the face one time in my life. Uh, I was in elementary school. It was with a neighbor kid. We had gotten into it. We were wrestling, and wouldn't you know it, he punched me right in the nose. And before I could even figure out what to do next, he jumped on his bike and rode away. There was nothing I could ever do in that moment. But Jesus says, he draws a, a picture here, and he says, if someone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Can I, can I tell you, first of all, what Jesus doesn't mean here? Here's what he doesn't mean. Like, this doesn't mean that if someone punches you in the face, that you just go ahead and let them punch you again a second time. Like, I'd love to be that tough, you know? You know, just you hit me once, go ahead and hit me a second time. But no, this, this is called hyperbole. And, and teachers like Jesus used hyperbole to emphasize a point. And, and honestly, Jesus isn't really even talking about punching or hitting here. But instead, picture this. You've got to use your imagination if you would. But like, what would I have to do 
to slap you in the right cheek. All right, think about that for a second. Think about where your right cheek is. I'm right-handed, and at this point in history, the assumption was that most everyone was right-handed. Sorry, lefties and southpaws, you, you just get left out here. But, but I'm right-handed, and it's not natural for me slapping you right-handed to slap the right side of your face unless I backhand slap you. And this is an important detail because in this particular culture, to slap someone was an insult. To backhand slap someone was twice as offensive. It represented one of the greatest insults that you could deliver to another person. And so keep this in mind. Like Jesus isn't talking about just someone who physically hurts you or slaps you. Like he's talking about someone who insults you and not only that, but deeply insults you. And so what are we to do with people who offend us? Uh, What are we to do with those who insult and hurt us with their words and with their actions? Well, when it happens, you and I, we're going to be tempted to get back at them. We're going to be tempted to even the score. Lex talionis. That's one way. But there's another way. And to that, Jesus says, no, I want you to turn the other cheek. Because Jesus wants us to get thinking about another way. Second scenario. Matthew 5, verse 40. Jesus says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, more traditional uh, versions of the Bible use the word tunic and cloak. And in Jesus' day, most everyone wore two garments. A tunic was like an undershirt, all right? It was like a shirt that you wore underneath. The cloak was your coat or your outer garment, much, much like a robe. And and your cloak was very valuable. It kept you warm. Uh, It served as a pillow at night, it could be folded and used as a bag to carry things in. And while you might have a couple of tunics, chances are most people had only one cloak. And believe it or not, there were laws in place that protected your cloak. And so you could be sued and have most everything taken from you except your cloak. And so picture this, there's this crowd in Matthew chapter 5, and they're all sitting out on the lawn, listening to Jesus teach about how to live and what to do when others hurt or offend you. And Jesus says, like, if someone gets really greedy in your life, takes you to court, and they try and take your tunic or take your shirt, Jesus says, you know what, go ahead and give them your cloak as well. Now, stop there for a moment. I I can imagine someone just kind of coming unglued in the crowd at that moment, wanting to shout out, why? Why? Like, why in the world, Jesus? You know, I've got rights. You know, the law says that, you know what, that I can get a lawyer and I can counter sue to protect my rights. But Jesus is like, no, 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 hang with me. I know you have rights. And I'm not saying that your rights don't matter or they don't count. I just want to get you thinking that there might be another way. Third example, verse 41. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, Jesus says anyone here, but if you're sitting in the grass listening to Jesus teach this day, you know that anyone was the ultimate enemy. Jesus was referring to the Roman soldiers. And in those days, there were no tanks, there were no Humvees. Like Roman soldiers, they walked wherever they went, and they often carried a personal pack that could have weighed up to as much as 80 pounds. And the law said that at any given point, a Roman soldier could come up to you, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, and demand that you drop everything and that you carry their pack. But there was a provision in the law that said they could only demand you do it for one mile. And by the way, everyone hated this rule. Uh, They hated the Romans, and they hated the idea that they could come up to you and demand that you carry their pack. 
But just to throw some salt in the wound, Jesus says, you know what, if anyone forces you to go one mile, and again, I just imagine people leaning forward in this moment thinking, oh, Jesus, get him. Like, get him back. Give it to him, Jesus. But have you ever heard the phrase, go the extra mile? Jesus says, you know what, if anyone forces you to go one mile, don't stop there. Just go ahead and go the second mile with them. In fact, do it with a smile on your face. Now, those listening to Jesus, for those listening on this day when, when Jesus was speaking the word, these words, like, this is a hard teaching, all right? This, is, this was difficult. This was hard to get your mind around. Like, talk about countercultural or, or controversial, whatever you want to call it. Like, Jesus is ruffling some feathers here. And, and I can hear the people grumbling, thinking, you know, like, wait a second, what about our rights? And what about getting even? And what about standing our ground? Like, like we're just supposed to stand here and let people take advantage of us? I, I can imagine of people slipping out of the crowd at this point, off to find another rabbi, another church with a better sounding message. We, we don't do that today at all, ever. But the fact is that Jesus, he came to change some things. And he came to demonstrate a new way, another way of living in this world, a way that would be governed by things like joy and, and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I mean, Jesus came to model for us what it means to love God with all of your heart and then to love others in the same way that you love God. This new way that Jesus is describing here was something that was going to be known for things like grace and forgiveness, generosity, and service. Like you could say that Jesus was challenging people, you know, I, I, I don't want you to just think with your minds, but I want you to think with your heart at the very same time. And and this new way wasn't just about rights as much as it's about responsibility. It's a way that reminds us that we're not just citizens of this world, but we are, we are citizens of another world. And while some even may perceive Jesus' way of doing things here to be weak, it's actually very strong. And so that's why Jesus said, you're going to be salt and light. I need you to be salt and light. I want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to give up your cloak. I want you to go the extra mile, all for the sake and the potential that anytime someone might have an encounter with you, good or bad, they actually, and more importantly, might encounter Jesus through you instead. This, this way that Jesus is describing, let's just call it the Jesus way. The Jesus way of doing life, the Jesus way of, of treating others, you know, that it's as if Jesus is living in and through me no matter what I may face. Let me just share with you a few examples, a few stories about this Jesus way being lived out. Uh, first one is this um, Jackie Robinson. Number 42, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Jackie Robinson was a phenomenal athlete, great baseball player, man and follower of Jesus. And with the help and vi uh, vision of Brooklyn Dodgers general manager Branch Ricky Robinson was able to break the professional baseball color barrier. And I've read a little bit of his story. There's a 1950s movie about his life that depicts some of the prejudice and hatred that he had to endure, uh, the depth of patience and self-control he displayed even in the face of, of 
just so much adversity. And there's one particular scene in the film, and Branch Ricky paints a picture of what he believes that Robinson is going to encounter in these games. And so he told Jack, he said, hey, you got to know, people are going to call you names. They're going to spit on you. They're going to insult you. Others are going to do horrific things to you on the field and off the field, all trying to break you. And then, then Ricky, he says to Jackie, he says, if someone punches you in the face in the middle of a game, what are you going to do? And Jackie thinks calmly for a moment, and he responds, you know what Mr. Ricky said? I've got two cheeks. I guess I'll just turn and let him hit me in the other one as well. The Jesus way. Second one, Mr. Fred Rogers. One of the nicest guys in the neighborhood, right? Like we, we could use Mr. Rogers in this world today, but uh, not only a nice guy, not only a, a television host, but also a follower of Jesus. And and get this, people criticized him. He, they criticized his work. They criticized his ministry and his efforts. And on one particular occasion, he was enduring some really harsh criticism from other so-called Christians. And knowing that Mr. Rogers was struggling with so much criticism and trying to decide how to respond, a friend in ministry sent him a note. And I won't read the whole thing to you, but I love what his friend suggested. He wrote in this, he says, you know, Mr. Rogers, it's these little persecutions within the church that hurt the most. I simply hope that you're not too surprised by them. They, they come and will keep coming precisely when you do something significant for the kingdom. And so don't respond to the criticism, he says. Some of the criticisms we simply have to suffer and see as invitations to enter deeper into the heart of Jesus. And from what I know, Fred Rogers took his advice and didn't respond. You could call it the Jesus way. Third one, Lillian Carter, mother to former president uh, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy writes about a time when he was a boy towards the end of the Great Depression, and he described how these, uh, he called them hobos, uh, kind of dating himself there, drifters. They would stop by his house, and they were looking for a handout, and he would watch his mom give them sandwich or a fruit over and over again. But one day, somebody came and knocked on their door, and his mother asked a question she had never asked before. Like, she asked the man at her door, like, why do you, why do you single out my house instead of my neighbor's? Like, why does everyone come to our door. And that man told Lillian the secret that day. He says, you see uh, on your mailbox, someone made a distinguishing mark that signaled that they could get something to eat here, that this was a safe place. And Jimmy Carter would go on to write that, you know what, there should be a mark on our lives. There should be a mark on our homes, our churches, and our wallets that say, we care. We'll help. You know, we'll help those in need. You could call it the Jesus way. But what's it mean for us? Uh, what's it mean for you and for me and in our lives? Like, do, do this. Like, think about your upcoming week. Um, think about the people that you come in contact with. Like, who's most likely to offend or to insult you this week? It, it could be a coworker. It could be a boss, a neighbor, uh, a relative, maybe somebody living under your roof in your house. Who is the most likely person to do something or to say something that you find insulting or hurtful? Think about that person. Now, two things. The first is to remember that while you're thinking of someone else, somebody might be thinking about you. I mean, we're not perfect. We're not innocent in these things. Like you and I, we are also capable of hurting others. But secondly, like with that person in mind, the person that's most likely to offend or to hurt you, what would it look like going into this week not to think about how you're going to stick it to them, but to respond as Jesus would. 
Like, what does that kind of love look like? What, what does that kind of patience look like? What, what's grace mean in that situation? Or what's a way of responding that's not going to make it worse, but maybe has the potential to diffuse the situation? It's the Jesus way. And again, this was a difficult teaching back then. Let's be honest. It's hard to think about today as well. Like, how do you live the Jesus way when there's so much chaos? How do you live this way when there's so much commotion, there's so much division and hatred in our world right now? Friends, we got to just keep looking to Jesus and turn to Jesus. And instead of reacting the way that we think is right, instead reach out to the Lord and seek his wisdom for how to respond because Jesus wants us to be people who respond to hurtful things in ways people don't expect, in may, ways that make them wonder what's going on with us and, and what's going on in us. And it's, and it's not just about being clever or it's not just about being creative or being better than anyone else, but instead it's a commitment and a conviction to follow Jesus and to follow his example. I heard a pastor say this morning, He said, you know what? Let's not become so familiar with Jesus that we're no longer impressed by him. Friends, let's let's not go so familiar with the message that we're not impressed and moved by the message. And again, the person of Jesus too, because he didn't just talk about a new way of living. No, our savior, our friend, our model Jesus, he lived it. I mean, you think about his life, you know, the night before he was killed, Jesus stood in front of a group of people in an unlawful court and he was slapped in the face, he was beaten, he was ridiculed and mocked and Jesus didn't respond. He didn't respond with insults or threats. Like he could have called for an army of angels, but he didn't. Instead, when he was hit, he turned the other cheek and Jesus was forced by the Roman soldiers to to carry not an 80-pound pack, but to carry his own cross. And when he couldn't carry it any longer, the Roman soldiers looked to the crowd and they called out a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene to come and to carry it. But once they arrived at Calvary, Jesus was nailed to the cross, naked, no coat, no shirt. And what were some of his final words? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And he died and he gave his life to pay the price for all of sin and for every person evil who's ever lived, people like me. And he died to save us and he died to free us and he died to conquer sin. And when we put our faith and when we put our trust in him, he gives us eternal life for now and for always and then invites us into the Jesus way of living. Let's pray. God in heaven, we do trust you and we thank you not only for the words of Jesus, but also the model and example of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that through your spirit, you would work in our lives and that these words would penetrate our hearts and that it would be our desire to live for Jesus, to model Jesus, the way of Jesus in everything that we do and in every situation and encounter we have this week. Do your work in us and through us. And thank you for the life you've given to us. And since you, in Jesus' name, we pray, amen.